Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Raw Prospect Podcast. My name is Emmy Nixon, and we have an amazing episode planned for you today. We're doing part two of our NFL preview, running through all of our top 20 teams, power ranking style, running through every team, giving you the rundown of what we think they'll do this season. Um, and this is one of my favorite episodes we do every single season. So um, we really hope you enjoy this one. But for that, leave a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you have not already. We, we're going to, like I said, keep going with this series. And then we have a, a lot of amazing content to come in the NFL season once that comes around. And then, of course, the MLB playoffs. We have the, M- the NBA coming back. So stay tuned for all the amazing contact moving forward. Um, but joining me from Houston, Texas, the Stat King himself. Mr. McElwain, how you doing? Ladies and gentlemen, fans of the Raw Prospect Podcast everywhere, since we last recorded, since I last spoke to Emmy on the podcast, since we last spoke to you guys on this podcast, an actual NFL football game was played. Now, it was a preseason game nevertheless. It really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But just for those of you who still weren't really catching on to the fact that it's really football season now once training camps opened. Well, it's really football season now as preseason games have started. And just about, I think it's three weeks from this Sunday, uh, we will have a full slate of regular season football on our TVs on a Sunday afternoon. Um, So football season has started. This is part two of our NFL preview. We're doing it a new and different way this year. I think episode one, part one of this series was a huge success based on early uh, reviews. Um, Make sure you leave us your feedback and your opinions on your specific teams, whoever you may like, whoever you may be a fan of, and give us suggestions on how we may improve. Uh, We're always open to improving and growing. A couple announcements before we get into the content. Number one, as Emmy said, we have so much content coming for you in the month of August, just in particular, not looking too far ahead. Um, We're going to be finishing up this series, going all the way to number one by the end of August. Um, So we'll have this series continue. We're going to have some college football stuff that I think you guys are going to absolutely love. We're doing our college football preview in two parts this year, and it's going to be way different than we've done it in the past. I think you guys are going to absolutely enjoy that. Uh, because this Saturday, get this, we're two weeks from a college football game, regular season game being played. Um, so uh, just keep an eye out for that. And then we'll have some other fun content uh, as well as we near basketball once that gets closer in September and baseball as the um, regular season comes down the stretch and we go for playoff race. So. With all that being said, leave a like on our video, subscribe to our channel, and if you love football, well, join us in the comment section and give us your opinions. Maybe we'll mention you on the show. Or tell us um, where you think these teams should be ranked um, if you disagree with our rankings. So with all that being said, let's go ahead, jump straight into the content, and reveal the number 16 team on our list. No, wait, before that, let's recap 
are 20 through 17. Um, 20 through 17, I believe, was the Patriots, the Titans, the uh, um, Panthers, and the who was the last team? The Vikings. Vikings. That was for 20 through 17. Go check that out if you haven't already. Our number 16 team, drum roll, as you may have already seen, is the New York Giants. Emmy is going to get into the 22, the 2022 season recap for the New York Giants. Yeah, so the New York Giants last year went nine, seven, and one. Um, just blew all expectations out of the water. This is a team that was expected to be last in the division, and most likely we're looking to be in a top five selection for the NFL draft, but that was not the case at all. They made the playoffs, had a five, three, and one record at home, four and four record on the road. Um, only went one, four, and one against the division. That's a that's a mark that they'll look to improve on uh come next season or come this season. Um and won a playoff game uh on the road, which is extremely notable. The mark of a really good football team is being able to go into a hostile environment and win a playoff game on the road when all the stakes are the highest. Um, so that was really impressive. Uh, their point differential last year uh, was minus six overall. Not terrible, but not great either. Um, their record in one score games, eight, four, and one. That's something they'll look to replicate. That's really, really, really good. Um, and then their games – decided by a field goal or less was two one and one of course with that tie it looks a little bit strange um and then their significant wins at tennessee week one 21 to 20 and then versus baltimore week six that's around the time when the discourse around this team really started to flip um right around that time that was when you really started to see the effect of Brian Dable show in the record and people were starting to take notice. Um, they were five and one at that point, I believe. Um, and then at Jacksonville, 23 to 17, of course, the team that also ended up winning a playoff game later that's later in the year. And then, of course, their wild card win in Minnesota, 31 to 24. Yeah, and if you want to talk about some season-defining losses, which I believe we mentioned as part of this particular segment in our last episode. Um, you look at uh, that December 24th loss at Minnesota, 24-27. Now, they would go back and beat them in Minnesota in the playoffs, which I think if you ask Giants fans um, potentially which win they would have rather had, it would, of course, be the playoff one. But that was a winnable game, and they had some other winnable losses on their schedule, as do many other teams. Um, but we'll save that for another day, and we'll just jump right into the next part, and possibly my favorite part, aside from the over-under that we do for each team on the uh, on this particular segment, and that is our three favorite off-season additions for the New York Giants in particular. The way I want to do this this time, I will give my number three, and he will give his, and we'll just go back and forth. My number three favorite offseason addition for the New York Giants was when they traded up in the third in the third round to draft wide receiver out of Tennessee, Jalen Hyatt. Um, 
He solves their lack of a deep threat issue that they've had for many years at Tennessee last year. He averaged 19 yards per reception in the reviews from training camp from giants training camp so far, he is going to get add another dimension to this, uh, Giants offense, a much-needed dimension uh, for Daniel Jones, for Brian Dable to use in this offense. Uh, so I really like Jalen Hyatt. Um, I think he's going to have a fantastic rookie season. Yeah, I I love that pick as well. Um, speed was really an issue for this Giants offense last year. And um, whether he makes a huge impact in terms of numbers – um, you will see this impact for sure just in opening up the field, um, stretching out safeties and giving the Giants a, a legitimate threat down the field to where teams will have to respect it. Uh, my number three, I went in a little bit of a different direction. I went I went with Bobby Okereke, um, linebacker who they picked up from the Indianapolis Colts. He's been the running mate with Shaq Leonard for years now. He's been really, really solid. And really the reason why I chose him is just they had a huge hole at linebacker last year. Um, you look at their run defense, I believe they were 26 in uh, play efficiency against the run last year. Uh, that's not going to cut it. Just getting that up to average would make a huge difference for them. And I think Bobby Okarike is, is a big step in the right direction for them. And it's a big upgrade. Goes right to not my number two. It was Bobby Okariki or Okarike, however you say his name. Forgive us, Bobby Okariki. Um, the 27th ranked run defense in the league last year, 144 yards per game allowed on the ground. That's not going to cut it. Uh, they needed a significant upgrade at that position as they rarely had any continuity at that position last season. Guys were going in and out with injury, and there just wasn't a whole lot of productivity at that position last year. Um, so I really like the signing, especially when you can get him a young player like that that's above average in pass coverage and is a highly productive player when you talk about playing run gaps and making tackles, just a fundamentally sound football player that's above average in uh, pass coverage as a middle linebacker to get a 25, 26 year old player in his prime at $10 million per year at that position where there's not a whole lot of elite guys right now in the NFL. Uh, I think it's a great signing for the giants. Right. Exactly. Um, my number two was the center that they drafted John Michael Schmitz. Um, if you look at the draft and the success rate in terms of positions, center is if there's any position that's a can't miss position, and I, I say that in quotes just because that doesn't really exist, but if there was a position, it would be center. And John Michael Schmitz, he's NFL ready in every shape and form you can imagine. And what he's going to allow them to do is really get creative in the run game, get deeper into their bag of tricks. And I know Brian Dayball is going to be really excited to be able to do some of the things, um, some of the creativity it will bring to the offense um, and opening up run lanes for Saquon Barkley. That's his calling card. It's run blocking. He's a mauler in the run game. He's 
fantastic in that area. Pass blocking, he's good. He's going to take his lumps as most you know young offensive linemen do, but um, he's a guy who you draft and you stick him in as a starter right away and is going to be probably on their team for seven, eight years. Yeah, he was on my radar for this particular segment, but he didn't quite make the cut for me. Um, not saying he's not a great addition to that Giants offensive line, but for my number one, I think most people know where this is going. It was when they traded for Darren Waller, who, my opinion, is a top three tight end in football still. He's got to stay on the field, of course, but he's a big-time target capable of drawing defenders in the middle of the field. When you have Jalen Hyatt on the outside uh, with, you know, possession-like receivers like Paris Campbell, who they also added, and Darren Waller, who you can just move around as a very athletic tight end, I think it's going to open up a lot of things for this Giants offense, and it's going to help Daniel Jones significantly. Um, I love going out and getting him, especially when it didn't actually cost them all that much. Um, so – I have Darren Waller at my number one. Yeah, same thing over here. I had Darren Waller at one as well. Um, I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, what he's going to be able to do, just being a threat down the seam for them and just drawing in attention. He's going to open up things for Darius Slayton. He's going to open up things for um, their other receiver that broke out for them last year. Um I believe he was undrafted. I can't think of his name at the moment, but he's going to open up things for their other weapons, and their passing game is just going to have a higher ceiling in general just from him stepping onto the field. Right. Okay, so now we've covered the offseason. Those are our three favorite offseason additions. I want to switch things up from how we did it last episode just a little bit. I want to talk about our three most important players on the Giants roster for this upcoming season. And then we'll kind of mush together our 2023 outlook with our over-under prediction. So my number three, mo I guess these aren't really in any particular order, but they sort of are. My number three most important player for the 2023 season for the New York Giants would be Andrew Thomas, who they gave their left tackle, who they gave a five-year, $118 million extension after picking up his fifth-year option. They ultimately were able to agree to a long-term deal. And I'll just put it this way. He's become one of the best left tackles in football. He needs to stay healthy. Um, and look, I mean, franchise left tackles, just like franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees nowadays, it, the same kind of goes for franchise left tackles. They are hard to find. And when you can get one in the first round, that actually pans out. A lot of people had questions about Andrew Thomas coming out of the draft. Uh, I can't say that we did ourselves, but a lot of people did. And he's really turned into one of the best, if not the best right now in the league. I mean, they don't grow on trees and the Giants have one. They locked them up. They have them in their long-term plans. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's one of the most important players on this roster. No question about it. Yeah, I, I went with offensive line as well, uh, but I went – to the other side of their line, I went with Evan Neal at their right tackle spot. Um, I think him taking a step forward um, this season is going to be really big just 
um, in terms of their offensive line, I feel like all of their spots are set. It's just Evan Neal has to answer those questions um, at that right tackle spot. He was okay last year. He had his moments, but he also had his fair share of uh, losses, lost reps as well as all you know rookie tackles do. But um, I think this year um, is going to be big for him, and the impact he could make on this team is going to be is going to be big if he pans out. Absolutely. Um, my next player, I had Dexter Lawrence. Um, what he does in terms of pass rush, run defense, it's, it's unquantifiable what he does for this Giants football team. Um, the amount of impact he has on the game just from his presence alone, um, eating up double teams, just – causing havoc in in the offensive backfield every single play. Um, what I love about Dexter Lawrence is his consistency. He has a motor that just never runs out of gas. It's just – he's just relentless. Um, and with every defense – with every great defensive player, that's the case. But I feel like with Dexter Lawrence, that's not talked about quite enough, just how – relentless he is especially at that position that asks so much of him yeah um great minds think alike and hey i'll put this out there real fast there's one common thread between all the players that i have on this particular list that will be revealed to you in just a minute you're gonna be like oh well that's why he has them on his most important players for the giants 2023 season i had dexter lawrence as well at my number two a four-year, $90 million extension for one of the most disruptive defensive linemen period in the National Football League right now. Uh, when you look at what Dexter Lawrence turned into last year, particularly last year, 40 quarterback pressures when he was lined up as the zero or one technique. That ranked first in the NFL by a wide margin. The next closest was 13 pressures uh, from the – from a defensive lineman lined up in those positions. Um, he was dominant on the interior defensive line uh, and locking him up uh, is important. And he's, I think right now, the cornerstone of their defense. No question about it. Only 24, 25 years old still is pretty much scratching the surface of his potential. Um, so Dexter Lawrence uh comes in at my number two. And then number one, obviously, is going to be Daniel Jones. Um, and the common theme has now been revealed to you. All of these players got long-term extensions in the offseason, basically signifying, franchises signifying, okay, these are our cornerstones for the short-term and the long-term future. Four years, $160 million extension. Look, we can debate all day whether or not he deserves that money, but that's what the quarterback market is nowadays. Uh, and coming off his best season with what we think Brian Dable can do with Daniel Jones, just looking at last year alone with the weapons that they've added offensively and the improvements that they made to the offensive line. Now that they have Saquon for the year, at least, um, I think 
there's reason to believe that he's going to continue the progression that we saw last year, this coming season with more talent around him. So my number one, most important player is of course the quarterback, Daniel Jones. Yeah. I Solid pick. I like that pick. Um, I mean, Daniel Jones, he's asserted himself. He has earned his place as an NFL starter for at least the next three seasons, I'd say. I, I would be shocked if he goes one season under this contract and then one more and then he gets cut off. That would be shocking at this point uh, based on what he's shown. But I went in a little bit of a different direction. I went with Saquon as my number one most important player. Um, I think just in terms of just flat-out production, um, like home run ability, touchdowns, all of it, um, he's going to lead their team in touches most likely once again. I mean, there's no question why the Giants were willing to go to the table for Saquon and just let's let's get a deal done. Obviously, Saquon had to go to the table as well and be willing to be put on the tag. But the Giants know how important he is to their team. That's the bottom line. And um, if he is healthy, this is a entirely different offense than what we saw last year. But if he's not, then that just puts so much stress on Daniel Jones. And I don't know if I... I don't know if I like that. Um, obviously, Jones, like I said, he's an NFL-level quarterback. There's no question about it. But I am i don't think I put him in the category of guys that can pull above his weight while other guys are out. Um, I think he's, he's not going to lose games for you. He's not going to win games for you. And that's why I had Saquon in this spot, spot over him because I think Saquon can legitimately – be the reason why they get their their goals this season or whether they don't. Fair enough. And I had Saquon in consideration. He was absolutely right there. Uh, and he's very important to the team, regardless of where you rank him. Now, right. let's conclude number 16 on our list, the New York Giants, by giving a quick 2023 outlook and our 2023 over-under win total prediction for the Giants. I believe the over/under win total. I just want to believe or make sure we're on the same page. Was set at seven and a half based on the sites that I checked. Okay, mm -hmm. just making sure we're on the same page there. I've seen one or two that had it at eight and a half, which is interesting. I just wanted to make sure we're using the same line. For me, look, the Giants—they won one game in division last year. Um, they really overachieved last year. Uh, they won a playoff game. They won 10 games in total if you count the playoff game. Uh, they had some things go their way, uh, eight and four and one score games. I I'll just put it this way and be quick to the point. I think they have an excellent coach. I think Brian Dayball by the end of this year will be considered a top eight coach in the National Football League if he's not already with what he did with this team last year. Uh, I like the talent they added offensively. I think their offensive line continues to improve based on what they did in the draft, getting John Michael Schmitz. I think Evan Neal is just too talented of a player. I watched him a lot at Bama. I think he's going to improve. They have Saquon in the building, which is important. 
uh, going into the season. And I think their defense will be good enough. Um, I think they're going to win more than one game in division this year, but they do have a tough schedule. I worry about the start of their schedule. Uh, Dallas at Arizona, and then it's at San Francisco, Seattle, at Miami, at Buffalo. Washington, who, you know, they tied with last year, so that's not an easy game. I mean, it's within division. The Jets, Vegas, Dallas again, at Washington. New England's not going to be an easy game. They have a tough schedule. Like, there's no question about it. Their first six games, it could get rough in there if something goes wrong or there is an injury. But, again, if they're healthy, I think they can get to eight wins. I think they win more than one game in division, uh, and that's all they really need to do. Uh, So I'm going to take the over, although I'm a little hesitant right now. Yeah, yeah, this schedule is brutal, as you said. there's there's not a lot of um, really head over shoulders level teams on any schedule in the NFL, really. So um, it, there's never there's never an easy game in the NFL is what I'm trying to get at. But um, really, the Giants, it's just all about can Dayball continue to eke out games with his coaching ability and just his ability to get players um, into advantages with his offensive play calling, with his ability to see the game, have a feel for the game. Um, I think this Giants team, their pass rush is going to be improved. Year two of Kayvon Thibodeau, year three of Aziz Ajulari, um, and then another year of Dexter Lawrence. I think this pass rush is going to be much, much better and a lot more consistent to me, it really comes down to will their uh, big pickup, Darren Waller, be healthy, one, um, because they're going to want to run a lot more 12 personnel with Daniel Bellinger. Um, so having both of them is going to be so, so important for, for them, just be just in terms of what they will want to run throughout the season. And then two, can they get – that third weapon to consistently bring them production. Um, last year, it was a lot of Saquon, Isaiah Hodgins, and a splash of Darius Slayton. Now with Darren Waller in the mix, in the mix, um, Darren Waller, Slayton, Hodges, they have to kind of each pull their weight just so they can have the ball spread out and not be predictable, if that makes sense. Um, so whether you really want to go over or under either way, I'm not going to bet either, either side of this because I think seven and a half is the perfect number. Um, I lean, I lean under, um, but I don't feel great about that just because I know this team has a lot of talent. Yeah. And I'm leaning over, but I don't feel great about that. So I think, Right before the season starts, we need to do something where we reserve the right to change our picks. Because, you know, injuries happen in camp. Not saying they're going to happen to any of these teams that we're talking about today. And I sure as hell hope they don't happen to the next team that we're going to talk about. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we're on the fence with this one. But that doesn't mean we don't think the Giants will be a competitive, like, solid-ish football team. 
I think they have enough talent to be that. Uh, and I believe in Brian Dable, which is probably why I'm leaning towards the over. Um, but some people may lean under. If you look at the schedule, it kind of makes you want to. Um, so with all that being said, that does it for our Giants preview. Let's reveal the number 15 team, number 15 ranked team on our list. The Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll let you start off since this is your squad right here. This is the 2022 recap for the Pittsburgh Steelers. My team, of course, if you are new to this podcast, a record of nine and eight. Somehow, some way, Mike Tomlin did it again. Uh, after starting, I think it was two and seven. Uh, they went nine and eight. Uh, they went four and four at home. Now, Pittsburgh fans will tell you that's unacceptable. Uh, in the first year, it's funny, the first year that they changed the Heinz Field name, Pittsburgh fans, of course, still call it Heinz Field. But the new deal with Akersher, it just doesn't sound right. It's not Pittsburgh. Um, they went 4-4 four and four at home. They weren't really good at home last year. 5-4 and four on the road. They were actually a pretty good road team considering how young they were uh, on offense and how bad their offense was at times. And they went 3-3 three and three in division. So they beat each team once and they lost to each team once. I mean, that's pretty good in the AFC North. If you told me going into last year with the rookie quarterback and Mitch Trubisky starting the season that they would find a way to go 3-3 three and three in their division, I would have taken that. But they did barely miss out on the playoffs once again. The point differential will surprise you a little bit. Minus 38 for a team that went 9-8 and eight doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But then when you look at the fact that they won, their margin of victory in game since their offense wasn't that explosive was often one score-ish. And they had some early season blowouts. I mean, the Bills beat them down and the Eagles beat them down uh, early on in the season. Once they just had transitioned to Kenny Pickett, it was rough going at that point in time. So a lot of that comes in the form of two losses, really. Uh, so don't, I guess, overskew that. They were 7-5 and five in one-score games. The Steelers, for whatever reason, always find a way to be fairly decent in one-score games. They were 5-2 and two in games decided by a field goal or less, which is really good. Uh, and they had significant wins at the Bengals in that crazy overtime game in week one, 21 to 20 at the Panthers in one of their, in their big winning streak of the season, when they won five straight to end the year, 24 to 16 and at the Ravens 16 to 13 with that Kenny Pickett game winning drive in Baltimore in week 17. Those were their significant wins. They had some losses that hurt the home loss to Baltimore hurt. I believe that was like 16 to 13 or something, or 14 to 16. They should have won that game, but Mitch Trubisky threw three interceptions, two of which were in the red zone. Um, there were some other losses in there, uh, but overall, Mike Tomlin did it again, nine and eight. And this team added talent in the uh, in the offseason. So I'll I'll let I'll leave the floor to you now for your number three favorite edition in the offseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Let's be honest, there were a lot of them. I like the way this team is being run now under Omar Khan. So I want to hear your perspective now. Yeah, a lot of people are calling him the Khan man. Uh, or is it, was it Khan master? Uh, either way, he was 
he, he did an amazing job. Um, for my number three favorite ad for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I went with Isaac Samalu at the guard spot. Um, he's moving in state over to the Pittsburgh Steelers from Philly. Um, not necessarily a star player, but he's not going to be a weakness, which really is all Pittsburgh is really looking for at that spot. Um, and on a solid contract as well, not overpaid really. Um, I think he's going to make an impact on that team right away. Yeah, he might be on my list, but for my number three, I went with, this might be a surprise to some, cornerback Patrick Peterson. Getting him on a two-year, $14 million deal. Um, they're calling him the con artist, by the way. You can call oh, him the con master. Yeah. You can call him the con whatever. But Pittsburgh fans are calling him the con artist, and I think it's for good reason. Uh, two years, $14 million. Look, I was not happy when Cam Sutton left. Uh, to go to the Lions. He got his money fair enough, uh, and Pittsburgh was kind of looking in a different direction. Uh, but Cam Sutton was his team's best corner, bar none last year, uh, with the production he put up. We might talk about him later in the episode, by the way. Maybe. Um, they needed a veteran cornerback, because when you look at the cornerback position, once Cam Sutton left, and they let go, of course, of uh, Kello Witherspoon, outside of Levi Wallace, they did not have a veteran cornerback to be sort of the leader in this room. And they got Patrick Peterson, a guy who wants to finish his career in Pittsburgh, play his last couple of years in Pittsburgh. It kind of reminds me of the Joe Hayden signing uh, from like five or so years back when they got him, when he was, you know, on the backside of his career, but was still a pretty productive player. Um, I think it's going to work out well. Um, he had a productive 2022 season, one of his best, in the past couple of years, five interceptions and 15 pass breakups, still playing at a pretty high level. Now, he's not the Patrick Peterson that he used to be, but I think for what Pittsburgh is looking for, uh, he can be solid. I think he'll, I think you'll see him play a little more slot uh, corner uh, this year in this Pittsburgh system. And look, he played in a primary zone scheme last year. I think Pittsburgh wants to play more man, so we'll see how that works out. But uh, I, I really like the addition of Patrick Peterson more so than maybe some others do. Hey, yeah, I, I um, I knew he had gone to the Steelers, and I, you know, I questioned that fit just a little bit, just because y'all run a lot of man-to-man coverage. But I think. The more I thought about it, I, the more I'm thinking like Mike Tomlin wouldn't have vouched to go get Patrick Pearson if he didn't have a role for him. So I trust Mike Tomlin and I trust um, them to put him in good spots for his skill set at his uh, age. So for my number two biggest ad for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I went with, uh, I went with Broderick Jones, uh, their left tackle. They selected in the first round. They traded up. Um, out of Georgia, this dude is a this dude is a freak. Um, I'm not gonna say he's raw, but I will say he was probably a little bit more raw than some of the other tackle prospects that went in the first round. That's why he went uh, after, um, say, 
uh, a guy that went to the Bears out of Tennessee. Darnell um, Darnell Wright. Darnell Wright. Thank you. Um, but Jones, I think, has the higher upside and the athletic ability to just exceed all of his projections, really. Um, and throwing him into the Pittsburgh Steelers organization, I mean, that's the absolute perfect fit. They're known for developing players. Um, they have a great track record, tra- great track record with just getting athletic dudes and just them growing into star players after a couple years. I think year one, I think expectations have to be fair, um, fairly modest, I'd say. Um, but come year two, year three, they're going to see the fruits of their pick here. That's weird. right. And a couple things I'll say before I end on my number two, number one, you can take this one of two ways, right? This segment, I take it as my three favorite off-season additions, especially when it's for my favorite team. So the Patrick Peterson one, if we're talking about the three best additions to this football team, it might not be up there. But since it's my three favorite, uh, it's a little different. And then number two, just depending on how you look at it, uh, makes it you know, different in how you view it. And number two um, – to start training camp and through the first week of training camp, the Steelers just released their first depth chart of the offseason. Uh, Dan Moore Jr. is still at the starting left tackle spot as of right now. Do I expect that to change? Uh, if Broderick Jones shows out in the preseason games, yes, I do. Uh, but right now, the Steelers are making him earn that spot, and rightfully so. Uh, right. So or I, I want to see – um, Broderick Jones in that position, considering he was the first round pick, but he's going to have to earn it. My number two was Isaac Sayamalu. Um, really, what you saw the Steelers do this offseason in terms of the offensive line was go out and make sure they solidified the left side of their offensive line. The right side of their offensive line was actually what held everything together last year. Uh, Steelers fans complain a lot about Dan Moore Jr. at the left tackle spot, and rightfully so. He has not been good. Uh, He's been serviceable, but he hasn't been good. Uh, And then, of course, Kevin Dotson, who was a third or fourth round draft pick from a couple years ago, had been playing that left guard spot, but really regressed last year, and they wanted an upgrade at the left guard spot. When you looked at the right side, Chukso Korofor has been a solid right tackle for them, got a three-year extension, I think it was before last season and was solid last year. Like he's a, he's a good right tackle. He's not anything special, but he's good. And then they got uh, uh, the Daniels guy from Chicago uh, at the right guard spot. And Mason Cole's a fine center. Like he's not anything special, but he's fine. Uh, so their mission was to really go out and upgrade the left side of their offensive line. That's exactly what I think they did. We'll see what happens with Broderick Jones. Uh, but I think long-term he will be an upgrade over Dan Moore Jr., and then at the left guard spot, I think absolutely Isaac Ciamalu is going to be an upgrade over what Kevin Dotson was. Um, he He's just a solid offensive lineman. He has some versatility. He played both right and left guard in Philly. And I think he has the potential to be, if not the best offensive lineman on this team, the second best offensive lineman on this team immediately. Um, so that's my number two. And then my number one, 
favorite offseason addition to the Pittsburgh Steelers was the number 93 pick in the draft, Darnell Washington, the tight end from Georgia. The reason why he's absolutely huge, an absolute specimen of a body. He's going to make an immediate impact in the running game with what he's able to do and moving bodies on the line of scrimmage. You line him up next to Broderick Jones, and you just run the ball behind those two bodies along with Isaac Sayamalu, he's going to help the running game significantly. The Steelers do like to run a lot of two tight end sets to kind of, I guess, offset their subpar offensive line in the past, or they have liked to. I think that's where he's going to make the most immediate impact. I classify him as like almost like a six offensive lineman that has the ability to run routes and catch passes. Uh, six foot seven body in the red zone. I don't think, of course, Pat Fryermuth is going to be the primary guy when you talk about the tight end position and receiving production for the Steelers. But I think Darnell Washington will add another element to this Steelers offense because they can use him in so many different ways. So my favorite addition is Darnell Washington. Now there are definite concerns when it comes to health and staying healthy and that sort of thing. But uh, he's there's reason to get excited there. Yeah, definitely. I loved that draft pick. Um, I think I questioned his ability to come in and, me- and immediately be there a like a lead tight end, but having him as a kind of relief pitcher at the tight end spot um, to supplement Pratt Fryermuth. I think they complement each other well. And I think you can throw them out there at the same time as well. You could even um, motion one of them out into the slot and have them create matchups that way. So I think in terms of personnel groupings you could have and just overall versatility, I mean, it, it really opens things up for your offense. So I really loved that pick. My uh, number one favorite addition for the Pittsburgh Steelers personally was Joey Porter, Joey Porter Jr. Sorry. Um, man, I mean, Joey Porter was um, your quintessential, just amazing technique as a man-to-man corner. Um, he's a son, obviously, of Joey Porter, Steelers guy. Um, and, it was just a match made in heaven, really. Once he fell into their last, really, in the second round, it kind of felt inevitable that he was going to end up being a Pittsburgh Steeler. Um, and, I mean, the fit is just perfect. I mean, he already has an amazing feel for the game. And his IQ as a player, his instincts, he just has a nose for the ball. He just knows where to be, and he just has – the technique already down to pair with that amazing athleticism as well. Um, I think he's going to come in and look like a veteran corner right away. Yeah. Two quick tidbits on Joey Porter Jr. Before we move on. Number one, he was actually one of the last guys to sign their rookie deal uh, from this draft class. Because if you look at last or this past year's draft, Joey Porter Jr. was drafted with the number 32 overall pick, which in most years is obviously a first-round selection, which guarantees you more money and stuff like that. But this year, 
since I believe it was the Dolphins pick who was voided. Uh, Porter was classified as a round two pick, so that caused some dispute as to what Porter Jr. gets in his rookie deal. They got it resolved. I don't know what the resolution was exactly. The terms weren't really revealed, but uh, that's one tidbit. And then the next tidbit is uh, if you haven't seen any of the clips from training camp so far with George Pickens and Joey Porter Jr. going at it, I mean, those guys, if, even if you're not a Steelers fan, even if you absolutely despise the Steelers with everything that you have in your heart, I do not care. You should follow a Steeler account just for the fact that you can see those videos of Joey Porter Jr. going up against a Deontay Johnson, Joey Porter Jr. going up against a George Pickens. And look at some of the catches that uh, this George Pickens guy is capable of making, man. Uh, it's nuts. But with all that being said, we'll move on. Uh, three most important players for the 2023 season for the Steelers. Now, since it was my team, and I'll allow it, I'll allow you to do it for your team as well if you would like. I did the three most important figures for the 2023 Pittsburgh Steelers. So these don't just include gotcha. players because I think this guy has to be like talked about when you talk about the 2023 Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's the offensive coordinator, Matt Canada. Um, he's bottom line, no excuses this year. He has to open up the offense. There were some excuses in 2022, figure out what you have and Kenny Pickett. It was a mix of Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett and even some Mason Rudolph at the quarterback position. The offensive line was terrible. A bunch of excuses uh, from the past two years. You know, 2021, his first year, Big Ben was basically a ghost of himself. Like there was little left in the tank. Offensive line was bad. Blah, 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 blah. Many excuses. This year, there's zero excuses. You've solved the offensive line. It should be at the very least average, serviceable, um, and you have all the skill players that you need around him for Kenny Pickett to succeed. You have to some way, somehow modernize this offense a little more and open up the playbook a little more, or it's going to be the same thing over and over and over again. Now, you've proven that you can win that way, but how long can you sustain that? Um, I think if you just open up this offense a little bit with what you have now, with a second-year George Pickens, adding Allen Robinson, Deontay Johnson, and so forth. This offense, I mean, there's no reason, as I said in previous episodes, that the Steelers should be scoring below 20 points per game with the amount of raw talent that they have on offense. So whatever you think of Kenny Pickett, whatever you think of their weapons, their offensive line, um, Matt Canada, I think, is the real recipe for the Steelers having more success offensively in uh, what is it? Year three of this offense. Right. Um, yeah. You can't talk about the Steelers without mentioning him. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's going to be something to watch this year for sure. Um, one thing you always keep track of the first three, four weeks of the season is what storylines are getting answered right away. What storylines are kind of, left on the back burner. Um, and Matt Canada is one where you're going to, you're going to see right away whether or not things click. Um, 
their schedule out of the gate. It's not the hardest in the world, but it there's definitely, I mean, the schedule throughout the season, there's not a lot of um, games where you can win scoring 13 points. They got to, they got to score 20, 25. Um, I mean, as good as that defense is in today's NFL, it's just extremely difficult to do. So there's a lot of questions about that offensive coordinator spot and rightfully so. Okay. So for my number three, I had Kenny Pickett and I think it just kind of goes hand in hand with your pick. Um, the Steelers for one have to find a way to maximize his skill set, use his running ability more. Um, I think that needs to be tapped into. I think that will help him get into the flow of the game a little bit better. And number two, I think Kenny Pickett just has to continue what he was doing last year. Um, you've talked to me about it off screen. He's clearly putting in the work in the off season um, and he's been very open about it. And even, even just looking about it, just, even just looking at him, he looks, um, bulked up a little bit uh, more ready to take on the bruises of NFL season. Um, and I think Kenny Pickett is set for a big year. I really do. Um, whether I don't know what you define big as depending on who you are, but um, I certainly don't think he'll be a weakness on this team. I think um, his ceiling is higher than a lot of people think. Um, that's where I'm at on Kenny Pickett. Yeah, number two for me was Kenny Pickett as well. They go hand in hand. Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett go hand in hand. And I could do a whole Steelers podcast going back and forth on who's more important to this team in 2023. Um, but regardless of what you think, they go hand in hand. I think Kenny Pickett is in for a good season. He's going to have a really good year. He's not going to be – if this Steelers season goes south, I don't think it's going to be because of Kenny Pickett. I think uh, he's going to be one of the reasons that the Steelers actually have success in 2023 based on all the work he's put in in the offseason, which, let's be honest, Big Ben didn't do a whole lot of that. Um, it's been reported, uh, and he said it on his own podcast. So uh, Now, there are differences, obviously, between Big Ben – and Kenny Pickett. I mean, Big Ben was just like a God-given talent. Uh, so it worked for him. There are different styles of getting it done in the National Football League. But Kenny Pickett put in the work, put his head down, learned the playbook, um, been a good teammate, a good leader. You saw the maturity last year with what he did down the stretch after struggling early. Uh, and I think Mike Tallman had a big part in this because Mike Tallman is, I think, the best motivator in the NFL, if not like top three for sure. Um, he really cut down on his turnovers second half of last year, and you saw the maturity. Game-winning drive against the Raiders. Game-winning drive at Baltimore, which is not an easy place to play after Baltimore, I don't think, had given up a touchdown at home in the fourth quarter all year. Drives this team right down the field, scores a touchdown, extending some plays. Um using his legs a little bit, although I like to see more of that. I think Kenny Pickett's in for a solid year. I think if you see 3,500-ish yards, uh, I don't know if they get to 4,000. I think they're going to run the ball a lot. Um, but um, 
3,500-ish yards, 20-ish touchdowns, and he keeps the interceptions down like he did last year after, you know, throughout the second half of the season, that's a really good season for Kenny Pickett. And I think it'll translate well to success for this team. Now, my number one most important player for the Steelers is obviously going to be TJ Watt. I mean, do I really have to say it at this point? When TJ Watt plays 50% or more of the snaps, or he plays a full game for the Steelers in his career, the Pittsburgh Steelers are 56 and 26 and two. 56 and 26 and two. That's a 66.7% winning percentage. Basically, they win two thirds of their games, regardless of who their quarterback is or what anything else matters. When TJ Watt is on the field and playing, when he doesn't, they are one in ten, and they were one in seven last year when he went out with injury. So he's got to stay healthy. But when he's at his best, the Steelers win, and that's why he's the most important player to this team. Definitely. Um, real quick, I'll go through my number two. Um, I had George Pickens at number two. Um, if the Pittsburgh offense wants to reach their aspirations. Um, throw Matt Canada out of it for a second. Throw Kenny Pickett out of it for a second. I think another measuring stick that needs to be talked about is I think George Pickett, George Pickens, sorry, has to assert himself as the number one guy by the end of the season for them to really take the next step as an offense. Um, I think um, this – you might disagree with this as a Steelers fan. I'm, I'm interested to see what you think. But for me personally, I think Deontay Johnson is best suited as a number two receiver at this point in his career. Um, and George Pickens, I mean, the sky is the limit with this dude. I mean, um, by the end of this year, we could legitimately be talking about the next great guy at the wide receiver spot. And there's, there's so many of them, obviously, but – Man, just the spectacular catchability, the body control when the ball is in the air, um, just the catch radius in general. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about that more and more as Steelers camp has opened, and I agree with you. Um, for this team to reach its height offensively, it's got to be George Pickens being the guy because he can do – a little bit of everything, and he has capabilities that Deontay Johnson just doesn't have. Now, Deontay Johnson, without a question, is the best separation creator and best route runner on this team, no question about that. But um, I think just production-wise, this team will be at its best if you have Deontay Johnson complimenting George Pickens rather than George Pickens complimenting Deontay Johnson, if that makes sense. Um, so who was your number one? My number one was TJ Watt. Same yeah. as yours. Um, I think he's probably, if any of y'all listening were to make a list like this, TJ Watt is probably number one on all of your lists. I'm pretty yeah. confident on that. Um, I mean, two years ago, broke the sack record. Um, I mean, he's just dominant, man. There's, there's no question about it. I think, um, a lot of people 
like to downplay him just because of how great JJ was. But I mean, TJ is just incredible in his own right. They're, they're different players. Um, JJ could play anywhere on the line of scrimmage and was just a beast, but TJ, his, his bend, his speed, um, his ability to go speed to power has really improved as well. Um, he's just an extremely polished pass rusher. He has a, so many moves he can, he can go to. He just has a deep bag, um, and he's just unstoppable, man. They're, they're very similar, but they're also – sorry, they're different in their style of play and how they get it done, but they're actually very similar in just like production – and just relentlessness and their personalities and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and I think at this rate, when it's all said and done, both have a good chance of ending up in Canton. And the reason I bring up Canton is because just this past weekend, we had the Pro Football uh, Hall of Fame enshrinement ceremony where DeMarcus Ware, another great pass rusher uh, in football history, was enshrined and some other great players as well, Darrell Revis, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so shout out to those guys. Now, what I'm thinking, and I want to get your thoughts on this, since we do have so much to say, um, we're already at 57 minutes for these two teams. <laughs> I don't know how this happens. Uh, we've seemed to condense everything, but we're still going on and on and expanding upon our opinions. So, what do you think about, and whether this happens tonight or maybe even tomorrow, stopping after we do our uh, our uh, over-under win total prediction and season outlook for Pittsburgh, and then doing uh, numbers 14 and 13 in a separate episode that will likely end up around 30-ish minutes, 30, 40-ish minutes. What do you think about that? That sounds good. Okay. That's perfect. So – um, I'll let you go first on this one because I want some suspense to build. Your season outlook, given everything that we've said, given everyone stays relatively healthy, which is what we've been doing for the other teams, and given Mike Tomlin's track record, of course, whether or not you want to factor that in is up to you. Um, and factoring in everything else in the AFC, the conference that they play in, the division that they play in, of course, over, under, Eight and a half wins. And Vegas was smart with this one because if you go under, it means that Tomlin has his first losing season because that would be an eight and nine record. But if you go over, Tomlin maintains the, the streak. What do you think? I just can't bet against Tomlin. I, I really can't. I um, All of the improvements they made to this team, all of the upgrades at key spots, um, and one thing I really like about their offseason is um, sometimes the impact isn't just adding star players, adding splash moves. Sometimes it's just removing weaknesses. And I feel like at each and every spot where they had a weakness, they really addressed that and they were really aggressive in getting guys to fill those spots. Um and I mean, often, more often than not, that gets rewarded in the NFL. Going out and making moves and improving at the margins of your team. 
Yeah, I agree with you. Um, now, here will be my little two-minute-ish spiel on the outlook in my prediction for the Steelers in 2023. There are two ways that Steelers fans currently view Mike Tomlin. And I think the general public views Mike Tomlin outside of just Steelers fans. The first way is Mike Tomlin, man, model of consistency, hasn't had a losing season in his 16 years coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers, future Hall of Famer, just does it year after year after year. You can't bet against them. He's just a really, really good coach. Top six, top seven in the National Football League. Some rank him higher. Some are less a fun of him because others will say, yeah, he's had no losing seasons, but what's really the standard in Pittsburgh? Um, with all the talent that the Steelers roster has had year after year after year, this franchise has no playoff wins in the past six years. Um, so that's what the biggest distractors uh, from Tomlin will say is really a lack of playoff success. And the standard in Pittsburgh at least used to be winning in the playoffs. Um, and that's something they need to get back to. That's something Tomlin needs to do he at least needs to get there this season um so but despite all of that man really when you look at right now in the afc and the Bengals have sort of risen to this level but they got to show it more consistently um for a year or two more when you look at the past three years in the nfl uh, the chiefs have the most wins in the afc the bills have the second most wins in the afc and this might surprise some people, but can you guess who has the third most wins in the AFC over the three-year span? That would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. 30 wins in the past three years. That's with an aging Ben Roethlisberger and a revolving door at quarterback last year. I agree with you. They went out. They addressed their weaknesses. I, I struggled to find many holes in this roster. Something we didn't talk about was their overhaul at the middle linebacker position. Uh, what they did there, I, I I mean, I don't love it, but I like it. I think it's a lot better than what they had. I think they have some specialization within their middle linebacker corpse now, and they're a little more talented at that spot, given Landon Roberts is a guy who can shut down the run and will be productive in filling gaps. Cole Holcomb's kind of that all-around guy who I think will be just a solid, reliable football player. He was really good in Washington, and he's young on a cheap deal. And then they just brought in Quan Alexander, who, if he's on the field, could be like the third or fourth best player on this defense, in my opinion. Right. Um, so, uh, and he really solves the issue of being able to cover in space because that's really the issue that Devin Bush and some of the other Steelers linebackers of the past couple of years, ever since Ryan Shazier went down, have had trouble doing. Um, so they went out, addressed their weaknesses. Deep down, I feel like if things go really well, they could get to 10 or 11 wins. Some people disagree with that, um, just given they think that there's a lower ceiling to this team. But I think there's a really high floor regardless. And I'm going to say they get the nine wins once again. For now, I'll say I won't be too optimistic. I'll say it's nine and eight once again. Maybe they sneak into the playoffs. It depends on who they beat and who they lose to. Yeah, I agree. 10-11 is doable. Um, one thing I want to put out there is, I mean, 
week one at home against the 49ers, home dogs against a team who historically struggles early in seasons. And if you look at Tomlin's record as an underdog, especially at home, I mean, yeah. it speaks for itself. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just saying. I mean, uh yeah, don't I'm, come at me, 49ers fans. I'm but. excited. Pick it against Purdy. Um, that's gonna yeah. be fun. But with all that being said, I guess I didn't really expect to be saying this, but that wraps it up for part one of part two <laughs> of part two of our uh, NFL power ranking season preview number 16 and 15 teams. We'll be back right after this for numbers 14 and 13. So it's all tuned. it. Brings. Stay Peace tuned. We'll see you on the other side. Peace out.